This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Consumers in the UK and many other countries across the globe are currently isolated in their houses, worried about widespread unemployment, and ultimately not spending. Couple that with a number of high street stalwarts like Debenhams and Cath Kitson already going through the process of administration, and the entire travel industry already on its knees, is B2C totally fucked? And where do marketers even start? I'm Joe Glover. I'm the founder of the Marketing Meetup. It's a community of 14,000 marketers around the UK and established very much on the basis of looking after each other and uh, just looking at marketing in, in a way where the humans come first. I'm Richard Wood. I run the marketing agency Six and Flow. I've worked in marketing for around about 18 years now um, and I'm a massive believer in that people should be trying to engage with people on a human level not just treating people as leads and kind of numbers in a spreadsheet anymore. So today we're answering the question, is the B2C market completely fucked? But we need to look a little bit more in depth into that. So with what's going on in the customer market right now, how do marketers push for growth without alienating the very people they're trying to sell to? So Rich, starting off, I mean like, <laughs> the market is in a weird, weird place right now, but I think that question right there that we started off with, uh, how do we, how do marketers push for growth without alienating the people we're trying to sell to? That feels quite pertinent. So I don't know. Let's just open it out. What do you think? It's, I mean, like you're right. We are in a very, very strange place at the moment. Like there is so much change going on across the board and there's not a lot of consumer money flying around in certain aspects. There are definitely spaces where it's increased. So if you look at um, online shopping, groceries, things like that, it's flying. And in in New Zealand at the moment, there's a, an increase of 300% of sex toys now that everybody's on isolation being bought online. Um, so like there are some areas of growth, but I think in total, there's some weird trends going on. And speaking to some other agencies, so typically as an agency, we don't work that heavily in B2C, but speaking to some other agencies, there's a crashing of budgets being spent on paid media. There's whole sectors that just aren't spending. And if you look at um, the travel industry at the moment, there is, I mean, you've got reputational damage, like particularly from the, the cruise liners, airlines are struggling to get people home. All of these things are going on. So there's a lot of reputational damage there and also not a lot of appetite. People don't want to be traveling. I mean, we are stuck in our houses and we are ready to see the outside world a bit more again. But people aren't really considering where they're going to travel to at the moment. We're more in, I wouldn't quite say it's survival mode, but there's definitely a 
I need to make sure I've got enough money for the essentials, food, keeping the family like heated, clothed, all those kind of things. So almost like a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs is coming to effect with the consumer money, which is an interesting space to be in. I don't think it's necessarily B2C as a whole is fucked, but I think we're going to see a lot of change, particularly on the physical B2C. So like by that, I mean the high street and the the kind of the, the shopping centers, all of those kind of things are going to change in a dramatic fashion. For sure. And it, it seems there's a couple of points there. The, the first one is that it's not the whole of B2C. You know, the sex toys is a great example where there are some uh, consumer products which are absolutely flying right now you know and and, and people are uh you know i imagine diy for example is probably having a similar surge i don't have the figures on it but there probably is um but we've been speaking about the decline of the high street as well for years and years and years particularly in the uk you know it was always sort of seen as the the center of the community and, and there seems to be a real sense of sadness in in some groups um about the decline of the high street and 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 how people are uh interacting with shops in that kind of way but i I feel like this is a really interesting point in time because in times of of great uh prosperity and everyone seems to be getting on the right and, and we worry about the little things then you see all these disruption consultants come out you know and sort of talk about being disruptive or being innovative and whatever it may be but Right now, we're living in that period of the greatest disruption. You know, we've had it enforced upon us, and and these companies are really looking to innovate now more than ever. So I think to your point about about the shops, right now they're being disrupted in in the biggest way possible, and there has to be some form of innovation. Innovation, yes, and I think it's also if you look at some of the main reasons why you would have traditionally or historically why you would have a bricks and mortar establishment and it was so that you had firstly so that you had access to consumers people need to get to you and if you start to bring in e-coms that starts to remove that as a need e-coms and also same day or 24-hour delivery that removes that need for immediacy so i will still go into shops and if i need something so the last thing i bought not panic buy but like an immediate buy was i needed i was flying to uh, toronto and i needed some warmer wear so i went into cotswolds and bought patagonia uh, fleece and that that is something i needed because i was flying the next day and i wouldn't have been able to fulfill that need with confidence through e-commerce so i think there is still currently a a need for that but that's also based on my buying trends so that's the first thing like around that is that people needed a way a place to get then the second value i think that the high street has and and i'm starting to realize that maybe it's a had is that having a bricks and mortar establishment gives consumers confidence in the brand and it can also be used to leverage feelings around luxury and aspiration so it's very difficult on in an e-commerce sense or even like an online sense to portray a feeling of luxury and true engagement within a brand so if you think about when you walk into an Apple store Mm -hmm. I love using an Apple store as like I think I've used it for so many different marketing analogies but think about when you walk into an Apple store 
and you have a feeling of being within the brand you are there's no cash registers there's no there's no defined till there's no queues you are immersed in that brand and it feels luxurious and high end i think high end mm-hmm. is probably a better way to put it than luxurious and you don't get that when you visit the apple online presence because it is yeah. still just an online presence it is it like it's a nice enough site and it's very usable you can get to what you want great but it doesn't actually immerse you within the brand. So I think there is still that need for that. But what I'm thinking at the moment, so as as we were kind of like thinking about this podcast, one of the thoughts that came to me is like, actually, is COVID going to be the trigger that actually says to people, I trust this brand without having bricks and mortar anymore? Because actually, subconsciously, by going to a bricks and mortar establishment, am I exposing myself to danger? Or mm. I'm now so used to buying things online that I, am I okay changing my buying habits? I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm, I think I am now at the point where I'm just ordering stuff off Amazon to see somebody else outside of my family come <laughs> to my door. But it's like, and I think, so that, that psychology around how we buy and why we buy yeah. used to have an element of needing bricks and mortar to give it credibility. And I don't think it necessarily has to have that as we start to move out of this. So that's mm-hmm. coming back to your point earlier. We've been talking about the decline. And I say we as in the, the general populace have yeah. been talking about the decline in the high street for years now. It's like one of those those boring end of year roundups where you're like, this is the year of mobile, this is the year of video, but like decline of the high street, the decline of the high street, I think this is probably the death nail. And I think for death nail for easily accessible consumer goods, clothing, that kind of stuff, because I still think that where the high street's positioning is going to come into its own is where you have experiential brands or restaurants or like things that you cannot replace that physical connection. I think there's going to be a shift. So I think the high street as as it's been clinging on for dear life for the last few years is definitely going to change post this. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. don't think the high street in general is going to die. And I don't think when I say high street, I think in terms of the high streets that have things like an H&M on it, an HMV, uh, like those kind of stores, so the bigger end high streets. Whereas I live in South Manchester and we have a almost like a, a micro village type thing. And we have a high street. A lot of those stores would come under the umbrella of shop local and their kind of eateries and right. like that kind of environment. And I think those areas will start to thrive. But I think inner city high streets, they are going to have to change dramatically after this. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I think Tesla, as, as an example of, of a company that's sort of, you know, when I saw their their high street shop or, you know, their shopping centers shops, I was like, what are they doing? You know, who's going to buy a car from, you know, the Arndale or, or whatever it may be, you know, but it's true. I mean, they get people sat in the car, they create that experience for someone you know, even if they don't buy today, in, in 20 years, they've created that experience, that ambition, you know, to one day buy a Tesla. I think that will work really well. But I think the same theory will work really well for, you know, stuff which isn't as expensive as a purchase, you know, stuff like an Apple product or whatever it is, you know, it almost becomes like a, a gallery, you know, as much as it does a, a retail store. I mean, they are set out like galleries already, you know. So you, you're talking about, uh, so Apple and Tesla there, so like two high tech, mm-hmm. like cutting edge in their fields. But actually, if you think about it, Argos have been nailing this for years. Their <laughs> shop is a gallery with a catalog at the front. Yeah. Like they have a couple of tellies and things like that up on the walls and some of their yeah. Elizabeth Duke faux diamond wearing cabinet. But <laughs> like the rest of it is catalog based. It's There's no yeah. physical contact. Yes, it, it's not the same kind of app 
Apple experience, but going into that store is experiential because I remember as a kid, like our treat from from my nan, who was very old school, would be like, here's, here's the catalog. You can choose what you want for Christmas and then we're going to go in and get it and you can punch in the numbers. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> yeah. just, you're like, what is this? This is like magical. Some conveyor belt brings this thing down. This is incredible. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that's to your point as well. Like Audi have been doing it for a while. Their uh, showroom in Green Park in London has been uh, virtual for years. It is an environment where you can pick the the color of the car. They have elements of the cars, and like I think there's normally one or two cars in there that you can physically sit in. But the rest of it is a, a digital experience, and I think that's where the high street needs to get to. Up until the point that we can then replicate those experiences in the home, like yeah, we're starting to get on the kind of minority port stuff, but that's when it starts to change. And I think the high street for me needs to refocus on experiences and physical engagements that need to happen in those environments not just being another element of a business that could actually be completed online now for sure 100 percent. so we're in agreement on that and i think we're in agreement that purchasing behavior is going to be moving more and more online that we're becoming more and more comfortable online and we don't necessarily need that reassurance that there's a brick and mortar store so there's an obvious trend right now that um, paid media budgets are just absolutely being slashed all over the country. Every brand everywhere right now is sort of cutting, 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 cutting. And, you know, and we go back to the beginning point, which was right now, a lot of us are in survival mode, but there's something about it which seems quite counterintuitive. And there was a nice Mark Ritson article in Marketing Week the other day, which, you know, is a a study of the Great Depression in America. And it was, he, he just summarized it and sort of said that, the companies which doubled down on spend during this time of recession were those that bounced back far quicker and far stronger than any other. Now, I appreciate there'll be a lot of companies who are literally like, we're struggling to pay our staff right now, never mind, you know, extra budget for advertising. But if people can afford it, there's an example where Birdseye are now saying that we're going to continue advertising because we feel like that's the right thing to do. We feel like that continuity and that reassurance of seeing a, a brand that is always there with the same message, a homely message, is a good thing. And and they've tweaked it a little bit. So now the campaign is all about, you know, we're all in it together rather than just like sell, sell, sell. Yep. You know, they're not, they're not selling fish fingers. You know, they're like, this is the environment we're in and, and we just want to provide a bit of reassurance. Well, we mentioned it a couple of episodes back. Companies got to sell. You've got to keep plugging mm-hmm. away. Obviously, we're going to say this as marketers. You stop marketing. You stop having a pool of people you can sell to. So mm-hmm. it needs to happen. And I think one of the things that does make me laugh at the moment is there has got to be a whole bunch of SEO consultants out there going, see, I fucking told you so. You need to invest <laughs> in organic because you stop paying, you stop getting the leads. Yeah. But I think like that, like you're right. There's, It's a difficult conundrum to be in. You are currently a business who are looking at whether or not you're going to be able to pay salaries in the next few months. But you're also looking at a business that you need to bring in sales. And mm-hmm. wrongly, in, in my opinion, the first budgets to get cut are normally marketing budgets. That mm. may not hit you now, but that will hit you in a few months. Because if you look at, so our, our sales cycle, we we forecast is normally around 90 days. And actually it normally sits around 60, but it's forecasting. And that's, that's grown a little bit now. So we are probably back closer to 90 days now. And mm. if I stop marketing now, and we were to turn all of our lead off now, that's gonna hit me in 90 days time. 
that's a problem yep. because that's going to be right in the bank of this what is most likely going to be the dip and kind of recession that we're going to hit in so if i don't have anybody to sell to then mm-hmm. i'm going to be in super trouble because there's what am i meant to do as a business how am i going to feed the sales team to then feed the delivery team so turning off marketing at this point is definitely not the way to go it's easy for me to say stop marketing and like maybe you cannot afford to keep paying uh, like uh, putting money into paid budgets but Marketing doesn't necessarily have to be around high budgets. It can be around organic. It can be around brand. So for us as an agency, our focus in the next six months is around content and brand. We are trying to create as much content as we can because not only do we genuinely believe that it will be helpful for the people that we're putting that content out to, we also feel like that's going to have a lasting effect for us. We have in in some of our paid budget, we have pulled back but we are still spending the same amount because we've pulled back on services that, so ABM, for example, there are elements of ABM that we could deliver for clients, but there's an awful lot that we can't deliver for clients because if if it includes an element of uh, direct mail, I can't send that to people's houses because I don't know where those addresses are. I can find those addresses for their office, but I can't deliver on those. So we've pulled back paid media spend on account-based marketing, but refocused it into some of the other areas that we are seeing more traction with. So things like around video and the sales process, that kind of stuff that will have immediate uh, immediate effect and a quick rollout for the people we're trying to help. So I think there's a readjustment, but not less spend. And do you think this is maybe like a, a failure of marketing in a sense to market itself? And I say that because with stuff like paid spend, usually it's very attributable. You know, you're able to say, put one pound in, you get three pounds out. That attribution thing should be something that we're able to convey to our MDs, our CEOs and say, look, this spend that we're doing today, we should be able to get four pounds out in 90 days. Or or." it strikes me that that's like the nirvana of marketing. And whenever I speak with you, I'm always impressed that you will speak about your sort of 90 day sort of sales, you know, process and, and all that sort of stuff, because you've got an awareness of what that is. But I think a lot of the marketing workforce out there probably doesn't have an awareness of what that is. And therefore, they're not able to have these conversations with their bosses and say, look, if you cut this, this is what's going to happen. And this is what's going to happen accurate. So I was actually listening to Everybody Hates Marketers Mm -hmm. recent episode yesterday around why are marketing agencies so shit at marketing themselves? Mm -hmm. And I think that the same message rings through for marketers in in in-house roles as well is that we are so focused on doing the job and marketing the thing that we are trying to market that sometimes we forget that actually we have to be able to market and actually in sell what we do as a within our role so sales are very very good at firstly selling the product that they're, they're trying to sell but also selling themselves within that process and i think marketers probably need to get better at that and i forget the name of the guest on the the podcast but they were talking about the principle of cobbler's children so a cobbler's child will often have the worst shoes because they're so focused on creating shoes for other people it's the same mm-hmm. principle like we are so focused on that role that we often forget about the other bits and the only reason i, I know those stats is because we've taken time to outline what they mean to us and then we share them across a business so i'm using those stats to report effectiveness back on on other people because if i were to say okay this month we've spent a thousand pounds on paid media and guess what we didn't get anything back Mm -hmm. i'd turn it off that like Mm -hmm. for a straight month on month roi conversation it's like well you've just burned a thousand pounds but actually Mm -hmm. i need to go all right well i spent a thousand pounds in january and in march 
I then brought in £50,000 or like whatever those metrics are. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, obviously I'm going to put more money into that. Yeah. So I think as marketers, we need to maybe stop focusing on like the immediate numbers that are just presenting themselves and have an understanding of what our marketing actually looks like across the entire sales or customer life cycle. So I'm going to ask you a weird question here. And I think it's quite an unpopular one in, in sort of data-driven marketer circles as well, which is to what extent do you think that people need to have a faith that this is going to work you know so these are unprecedented times so even your historical roi of one pound in 50 pounds back or whatever it is you know you might not see the same right now do you think it's fair to say look we're going to work on this theory we think it's going to work we have to hypothesize that it will we've got this data to back it up but these are our times so it might not i think faith is i'm undecided if that's the perfect word for it or a terrible word for it but i think yeah. <laughs> like faith faith i think is a good way of, of looking at it as long as it's faith with logic and understanding behind it so if mm. you can make a case for something so the theory or like hypothesis that you're pushing forward has some good logic behind it and has some thinking behind it not necessarily data because nobody has data around what's going on at the moment this this is unprecedented since the spanish flu a hundred years ago which surprise surprise we didn't have paid media at that point so <laughs> well maybe we did in different guys but like you get you get the gist but yeah, yeah. like certainly this not is, in an e-com environment yeah this is this is a, an unprecedented environment that we're in so chasing data and using that as your crutch as your only crutch can lead you down a blind alley so i think having faith and understanding of why you're suggesting something is absolutely something that marketers should be pushing for but you have to be able to back that up you have to be able to say here is why i'm doing this here is why i think we try this and actually do you know what mr md everything else is fuck right now Let's just take a leap of faith on this because what else are we going to do? I think there's there has to be a bit of an element of that at, at the moment as well. And that's where I think a lot of marketers are probably flapping at the moment. And like I include myself at that. I'm like, what do I know? What is it that I can affect here? And what are my fallback options? And actually, if you start to drill down into a lot of those none of those fallback options make sense anymore because email, for example, we used to have these internal metrics or benchmarks that we use saying, okay, I send an email, it's B2B, I'm going to send it on Tuesday morning at 10 because that's going to give somebody enough time to get into the office. They would have gone through their daily emails and I'll catch them in that. I'm thinking about going out for it, like grabbing a coffee type moment. And you've got all of those side of things. B2C, maybe you're trying to email somebody on their commute on the way into work. So We've got those things in place and like podcasts, right? So we try and keep Mm. a podcast 30 minutes. It's a good commuting chunk of time. It's consumable. And so, but now all of that's changed. Absolutely. All of that has changed. I don't commute anymore. And like, I'm I'm desperate to commute because I'm I'm listening to maybe a a quarter of the podcasts and digital news that I used to, but all of that has changed. I'm working from home. I'm not commuting. I'm not seeing people around the hypothetical water cooler. The metrics are different. So why would I rely on the data that I've previously banked? Because none of it exists anymore. And I'm, I'm hoping that changes. And yeah. I think it, it will. And I think this is, we're, we're talking about an environment that is rapidly changing. We're three weeks in, they're talking about letting kids come back to school, like that kind of stuff. So these things will change and Wuhan are now allowed to move around again. So the world is starting to return to normal, but I think it will be forever changed. But yeah. I think as marketers, 
don't focus so heavily on the data. You have to have that leap of faith. You know, I, I, there was a really quite striking quote the other day in one of the webinars we, we ran with the Marketing Meetup. It was with uh, Margaret Malloy, who's the global CMO of, of Siegel and Gale. And, you know, it, it had quite an emotional impact on me, which was she said, we're never going to be returning to the world of 2019 ever again. You know, whenever we come to this new stage of whatever it is, the world is going to be a very different place. And I'd never really heard anyone say that before, but that, I found that, you know, one of those moments where I just sort of sat back and I was like, whoa, the world is going to be really, really different. Well, across the spectrum, the way you work, the way you learn, the way you consume, all of those things have had fundamental changes. The The technology, the processes, all of that existed, but what it has done, it has thrown everybody head first into it and said sink or swim you're gonna have mm -hmm. to do this so figure it out which yeah. i mean is terrifying in its own right but actually it is probably what the world needed we were in that status quo of yeah maybe we should allow people to work from home maybe we should mm. start consuming things in a different way maybe the high street is dying maybe it's not but actually what's happened is the world has gone buckle up because now we are going to show you this is the new way that things are going to be done and the companies that are going to thrive are the ones who are open to that, who aren't going to, like the ones that are going to struggle are the ones that are going to go back in five, six, whatever time frame it is, where they bring people back into their office and everybody is like nine to five, crack on in the office. Yeah, and actually their employees are immediately going to be like, do you know what? I actually quite liked working from home. Maybe I'd quite like to keep doing that a couple of days a week. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I'm also missing the other bits. So I think when we go back as a business, and don't quote me on this because we may have to, <laughs> uh, like, this is definitely an, op an ops decision to make, not mine, but we will probably start to say, all right, well, why don't we have a couple of days where we are all in the office? But actually mm -hmm. outside of that, if you want to work in the office, you can. If you want to work from home, you can. That's fine. We trust yeah. you to do, do your job either with us there or not. Mm -hmm. We were forced into that process. Now it's going to be an employer's market for mm -hmm. the first time in our working lives because yeah. we are young and sprightly you say more than me <laughs> but <laughs> yeah um, but but i think it's also going to be an employee driven change after this point because the employees are going to go look yeah you're right there are less jobs around but we've learned a lot of good lessons and i can now prove to you that i was more productive working from home so mm -hmm. we will never we will never go back to what it was 6 months ago no, the concrete is wet again, you know, before we, we well, quick, step. write your so, name in it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I think it's, it's right that we start to wrap up. We've spoken about sort of the high street changing quite significantly and about how e-com, you know, has the potential to be a real winner and, and how we probably really shouldn't be looking to cut back on, on, on spend where possible as well, because right now I think there is an opportunity. Before we start to wrap up though, let me, let me ask you a question. And I, I have no idea where this is going to lead, but <laughs> what would, what were the last three things that not food? So I'm not talking about like supermarket shops or anything like that. What were the last thing, three things you bought from a physical location? I don't even know. Uh, a football when my brother and sister came around for a picnic about six months ago um on, and on then, the day on the day yep. probably the, the two purchases other than that would have been diy purchases from wilco yep. i think i pretty much kept wilco going independently <laughs> for for about three years on home improvement and again but, without without food what yep. were the last three things you bought online uh clothes 
coffee. I bought a coffee grinder. Nice. And uh, it, it didn't quite count as much, but like like hay fever tablets. So like pharmaceutical. <laughs> so that He's a delicate today. soul. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, okay, so that that's a prime example then. So if you look at so the football, you bought that on the day and yeah. that's, that's buying behavior. So if you had a little bit more foresight, you could have easily have had that delivered on prime next day delivery type stuff. And if you look at the other things that you bought, the DIY, again, you could easily order that and have it delivered. So I think a lot of those things that you're talking about could have easily been replicated with a different kind of buying behavior. But more than that as well, I think the really interesting thing, the one for me, which is the most interesting experience was buying pharmaceuticals, as in stuff I'm going to put in my body, you know, and and having the trust in an online retailer to be able to do that, you know, and and I checked out the Trustpilot reviews of the site and stuff like that before. That almost social proof was enough to sort of get me over the line and sort of say, okay, I'm not going to just get a load of sugar tablets or something which isn't what they say it's going to be, which... um, for me was was a huge experience so yeah you're right absolutely there's, there's really no need in terms of online behavior as well so i did something very similar where so i have like very very mild asthma the doctors were obviously in disarray with everything that's going on i was like I, okay i need to get a ventolin inhaler and i mm-hmm. bought one online it cost me more money than it normally would from a subscription but actually i'm okay with that because i'm i'm in a privileged position where i don't need to rely on the government to subsidize that subscription and the convenience aspect. So mm-hmm. my buying habits are changing towards convenience anyway. And I actually find online convenient with everything other than food. Absolutely. hundred percent. No, I couldn't agree with you more. It's really interesting. So yes. we've talked a lot about all of that kind of stuff and hopefully there's some thought streams coming through in it, but answer the question is B2C totally fucked. No, of course it isn't, you know, it isn't fucked. We're all going to be buying stuff, but we're just going to be buying it in different ways. You know, I think primarily online, the high street styles a function, but we'll push towards more experiential stuff. But right now, today, mid-coronavirus, there's going to be some huge winners in the B2C market because there's going to be some products, sex toys included, that people really want. There's going to be some stuff which is not going to be top of the list. So in those cases, I'd recommend that those brands kind of double down on branding and, and, and starting to look to understand their sales cycles as well. But no, B2C isn't fucked. <laughs> Anything to add? <laughs> no, no, I think you summed it up well. I think those brands that are currently not in the privileged position of being able to capitalize on buying habits. So I think like baby goods are up, clothing is up, fitness equipment is up, but then you've got things like travel and more kind of retail centric stuff are down. And that that makes sense. But those those companies who aren't in the position where they're riding high at the moment, you need to be focusing past the next six months. Look at what you've got in terms of brand and assets at the moment, build out your content and grow from there. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to say that we know it's hard as business owners. We know it's hard. You know, it, it's not easy to sort of take that mindset. But if you can, you know, I, I think those will be the winners. I think those genuinely will be. 
as ever, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review and actually leave us a comment in the review because we, we do actually appreciate it when you guys take the time to let us know what you thought and how we can better. And again, if you guys want to leave us any comments about what we should be talking about, give us some suggestions for future podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Rich T. Wood and Joe. Uh, Joseph E. Glover on Twitter. Just reach out to us. We're both fairly friendly and we'll, we'll take it into consideration. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to the Humans Come First podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.